0: This is Nita Erlene and you are listening to the TRC Ministries Podcast. The vision of TRC Ministries is to see individuals fulfill their calling under the authority of the Church using the resources of the Kingdom of God. Today is part three in our series, Putting on the Easy Yoke. We have covered the steps to bondage and that abiding in Christ and His truth is what sets us free. We all want abundant life and we all seek fulfillment. But oftentimes, real fulfillment is not where we are looking. If we are seeking satisfaction in life through a focus on our physical existence, our five senses, then we are deceived and not living in truth. It is only when we replace our focus and look for satisfaction in our spiritual existence that we can experience the freedom that Jesus offers. Here is Tori Bjorklund, President of TRC Ministries, Teaching at Caravan Fellowship in part three of Putting on the Easy Yoke.
1: I started a couple weeks ago a series that I am calling Putting on the Easy Yoke. And the idea of it comes from, of course, Jesus' teaching, come to me everybody who is weary and heavy laden and you will find rest, right? Take my yoke upon you, he said, and learn from me. And then you will find rest for your souls, for my load is easy, my burden is light. And the idea there I want to focus on is learning from Jesus. And last week I spoke on the problem of bondage. Jesus said in John 8, 34, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And I talked about the process that we go through to become fully enslaved how we participate in our own slavery by choosing to deny our sin and our bondage. I also pointed out that there's a way of thinking, a deception that is intended to keep us in bondage. And that's exactly why Jesus told us the solution to bondage and the way to freedom is to make the truth he spoke our dwelling place. I ended by contrasting two ways of thinking, one way, is characterized by Billy Joel's song, Only the Good Die Young. I don't know if anybody knew that song before I read you the lyrics. I I heard that a lot when uh, I had that album, in fact. Uh, Only the Good Die Young. And the other is characterized by a song written by the Sons of Korah, which Dave read to us today. Billy Joel's song said, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. While the other said, I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. A real contrast in thinking there. So today I want to talk about the reality of freedom. And I want to start by talking about deception. Most of us have come to see that the so-called fun is at best short-lived and worst, a thin disguise for hell itself. Now some of us have had the hellish experience more than others. But once we begin to see our deception and we admit our denial, then Satan has to take a different tack. So that approach is deception. So what is deception? Deception is being misled by a false appearance. That's what uh, magicians do, by the way. They, they deceive you into thinking they're you know, sawing a woman in half or something like that, and you're being misled by the appearance. Now it's a way of thinking that doesn't see things as they really are. The issue with deception is that any way of seeing that is not true is still deception. And so that means there's lots of it. (laughs) There's lots of ways to see things wrongly. So to keep us in bondage, when we get wise to the fun, then Satan comes along with some other deception, wraps it in a different cover, but it's really the same deception. Now Solomon, pretty much acknowledged to have been the wisest man to have lived, except maybe Jesus, and he observed in uh, Proverbs 14:12, that there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So what? What is it that we're being deceived about? Or with proper grammar, about what are we being deceived? Life. We are being deceived about life. And that, that is the way which seems right to a man is really what we think of as, man, this is living. I'm really living now. And that's what we're deceived about. We're deceived about life. We're being misled by a false appearance of life. And that's what Solomon is pointing out. We are deceived about life. There is a way of looking at life that seems right to a man. But in the end, it's really death. Jesus talked about this. He said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy But I came that you might have life, that mankind might have life and have it abundantly. So what is the way that seems so right? It's a primary focus on our physical existence as the means of obtaining satisfaction with life. See, focusing primarily on our five senses as the means by which we obtain satisfaction in life. That is the way of seeing that seems right to a man. It's seeking satisfaction in this life only through our five senses. Elvis sang a song, said, it feels so right. And in the song, that's the name of the song, it feels so right. In the song, some of the lyrics says, I know that nothing can be wrong that feels so right. Have you ever heard anything like that? That is deception. That is it being deceived or being misled by the appearance of something. It's judging our satisfaction by what we feel. Billy Joel, who wrote that song, Only the Good Die Young, that I referenced last week, was very candid. He was in an interview with Performing Songwriter magazine, and he says... When I wrote Only the Good Die Young, the point of the song wasn't so much anti-Catholic or anti-religion as pro-lust. That's a pretty frank statement. He wasn't promoting the idea so much that religion was wrong as lust is right. Why? Well, because it feels good. It's fun. There used to be a statement when I was growing up in the 70s. If it feels good, do it. You ever heard it? I think Nike just dropped the first part because we all assume it. Just do it. Now, we don't dare underestimate the power of this whole message. It permeates our culture. And if we don't replace our dependence on our physical existence as our measure of satisfaction with a dependence on our spiritual existence, we'll never experience the freedom that Jesus offered us. We have to replace our dependence on our physical existence, on our five senses as the only way to bring satisfaction. We have to replace that thinking, which, by the way, ultimately leads to death. We need to replace that thinking with a thinking that says our spiritual existence is paramount and what truly brings satisfaction to us and a focus on that. The Bible doesn't speak against satisfaction or fulfillment, by the way. It only cautions us that seeking it in the wrong place will lead to death. God, our creator, understands very well how important it is for us to experience satisfaction. He's the one that created us and created the means of satisfaction. I mean, he made it so that food tastes good. You know, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to give us taste buds. It could be like breathing. Eating could be like breathing. You go, oh, man, is that good air? Well, sometimes, but Paul speaks about giving, our, giving up our desires to satisfy our physical yearnings as a form of dying. This is, he talks about this as a form of dying, okay? And I want you to see just how prevalent this teaching is um, throughout the New Testament, let's look at this times, how many times that, I mean, it, there's more than this, but that Paul mentions this. Just look at some of these verses, Galatians five twenty four. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's a form of dying to our passions and desires of our physical existence. Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him that our body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Romans 8.13, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Romans 8, 13, 14. put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision with regard to the fl- flesh and its lusts. Galatians 6.14, uh, may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We all know Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. This is a form of death that he's talking about. Romans 6.11 and 12. Consider yourselves as dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. And finally, Colossians 3.5, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Now, we really have to realize that Paul is speaking very literally here and and not just Paul, by the way, Jesus spoke on the same topic. Jesus pulled no punches here. He knew that our life away from God is really no life at all. It's an illusion. It's being misled by an appearance of life that is not life at all. It's the way that seems right to man, but that leads to death. We are deceived into believing we are alive. Because this life of death is so completely dead, we can't improve on it. We can't take this life of death and patch it up, fix it up, maybe plant some flowers around it, make it look good. There is nothing on which to build. Who was it we were talking to? I think, Nathan, you were there, and somebody said about somebody's... uh, floor joists were just rotted. You know, they they literally could just pull them down with their hands from down below the floor. And that's what the life of death is like. You can't build on it. There's nothing there on which to build. So what's your option? You have to be discarded and replaced with something completely different. Something that is life indeed, true life, a different kind of life that doesn't depend on our physical existence to be validated so paul speaks here plainly about what our focus should be He says do not be deceived god is not mocked whatever a man sows this he will also reap for the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption but the one who sows to the spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, you need to understand, when Paul uses the word flesh, sarx in Greek, he was talking about the body, the physical existence, not just the body, but he literally, the, the word he used literally meant the carcass of an animal. When you skin a deer, you ended up with the flesh. And this idea of flesh, what he's talking about, it represents Our physical existence and what we can do without God. And and some of our teaching has sort of brought this idea to mean something that's sinful about us. No, the flesh itself is just simply what we can do without God in this physical world. It's just the physical existence that we have. And so when you sow to the flesh, I mean, what are you doing? You're planting, you're putting your efforts into the things of this world, of this flesh, of your physical existence. And he says it comes to corruption. Do you see that? They reap corruption. And that idea there um, literally means it just falls apart. It's like that rotten wood or rusted out vehicles. You know, there's always certain models of pickup trucks that I see when they first come out and I'm thinking, man, sure would like to have that pickup truck. And one of them years ago were the ones with all the really cool decals and stuff. And then you see these guys driving down the road now with a, one of those really fancy looking that they probably paid an extra five grand for that package and it's like rusty, you know, and the decals just don't look that great anymore. And it reminds me, it just leads to corruption. So he's literally talking about things that fall apart. And that's the same thing that Jesus said, wasn't it? He said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on this earth. They're talking about the same thing here, where moth and rust destroy. I tell Naomi, I don't know why Jesus said moth. I mean, rust I get. But didn't they have mice? He should have said mice and rust. Man, now mice just tear up stuff. in my, my motorcycles, my boat, anything out in the pole barn. Where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus and Paul here are contrasting a focus on the physical with a focus on the spiritual. It's a focus question here. When Jesus said where your treasure is, there is where your heart will also be, he was referring to an undeniable fact that we will concentrate our focus on the things that we value most. You ever notice that? You concentrate your focus on the things that you value most. You know, that old set of towels that the mice get in, oh well, i just throw them away. The new upholstery on the boat that the mice chew up, man, I'm ready to go nuclear. If our focus is on the physical, the things of our five senses, then we become chained to this earth and we will come to love the things of this world. Or we can instead choose to sow to the spirit by cultivating our affections. Cultivating our affections on the things of God, the things of the spirit, the non-physical, the things that are experienced by more than our five senses. The Bible's full of references about the temporal nature of this physical life. We're cautioned not to act as if this is all there is. Because, how did John say, everything in the world is passing away. Even the desire for it will pass. And the contrast is, the one who does the will of God, what? Abides forever. It's simply the nature of things. The flesh falls apart. It corrupts. It rusts. But the spirit abides forever. You are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. You are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. If we spend our whole life focused on the things of this physical realm, we can't help but act as this is all that matters. In fact, it will be all that matters to us, if that is our main focus. We quickly begin to see that we can't control the things of the world. So what happens? We're trying to grab hold. We try to hang on. And then guess what? We find out that they're kind of limited. It becomes harder and harder to get what we want and even harder to keep it and to keep the mice out of it. Even when we do have it, even when we can keep it, we find that it really doesn't satisfy as much. And so what? We seek more. That little canoe just isn't quite enough, so we get a rowboat. And pretty soon we put a motor on it. And the next thing you know, we got a $40,000 bass boat. And then it begins to take more and more to bring us less and less satisfaction. This is where we learn that we've lost control. And some of us have experienced addiction. You know what addiction is? It's a concentrated of the problem of making satisfaction through our five senses, our primary objective. It's a concentrated dose of the of the problem of trying to make satisfaction from our five senses, our main objective. So this is why Jesus said that those who obtain what they seek in this life only find that they've lost everything. Just think about that. Think about what, how Jesus said that if you seek your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake or the sake of the kingdom or the sake of the word, depending on which gospel you're reading that in, you will find it. Those who who obtain what they seek in this life only find that they have lost everything we find that we are totally at the mercy of the forces that are way beyond our control and we learn that we not are not even in control of ourselves our desires have been in control for so long we have not learned to control them and instead we have trained them taught them how to control us Have you ever noticed that? That's what desires do. Desires are not self-governing. And we lose control if we give them control. We thought we were the master, but we find we've become the slave. Worse yet, in seeking to be our own masters, we've made an enemy of God. And when we set our minds on obtaining our desires over everything else, we commit idolatry, as Paul was pointing out. Why is that idolatry? We are setting our will over the will of God. That's what idolatry is. When you put anything over and above God, that is an idol. And in this country, in this culture, in this world, the fulfillment of physical desire is a universal idolatry. We've become God in our own eyes So what's the answer? Well, it's to give up that life of death and exchange it for a different life. One that is not driven by or defined by the things of this world, but is driven by and defined by our spiritual existence in the presence of God. And so this is the transaction that Jesus proposed when he said we should give up our life for his and what Paul meant when he said he's no longer living his life, but the life that he lives is the life of Jesus Christ in his body. Sin is not the, bond, is not the problem, right? That's what we talked about last week, bondage is. Sin is not the problem, bondage is the problem. We are in a prison and death is the gate. Of that prison now we can think of that as physical death mortal death but Jesus wants to free us before we die in the body before our body dies he wants us to die ahead of that and that's what Paul was talking about over and over and over again that death is the freeing of us Of ourselves of our spiritual being from the bondage of this physical life and I'm not talking about when we get put in a casket and buried in the ground and then we'll become free that's why Paul said that he will give life to your mortal bodies before they're dead we can have freedom in Jesus Christ we must pass through death to enter into life And that's what we actually seek. We just might not always know it. And that's the deception. So what does the Bible mean by death? It means we give up our quest to live our life our way. And we agree to live the life of Christ his way in our body. Our death is giving up our quest to live our life our way. Giving up. On doing it my way and getting what I want is really that's the form of death. And instead, choosing to do it God's way, allowing God to empower us through the life that He brings to live a life of spiritual significance in a physical body. This is what Paul urges us to do. Romans 12. Says, I urge you therefore by the mercies of God to what? Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We can use all our physical bodies in spiritual ways in our relationship with God. Now I started the series by saying we have a problem. And sin is not the problem. Bondage is the problem. To be free from this life of death, we must be willing to die in this way. And we need to adopt an entirely new way of living, a new way of thinking, a way of living that seeks spiritual fulfillment above physical fulfillment. Now, we can't possibly act right if we don't think right, right? Right? So this goes back to that process. We choose to hear the words of Jesus. We choose to receive the words of Jesus. We choose to make our dwelling place, our abode, to abide in the words of Jesus. And it changes our thinking. We become transformed by the renewing of our mind. If we choose to hear and receive the words of Christ, we will begin to see that we have been deceived. When we see that we've been deceived about life itself, it becomes much easier to walk away from the hollow promise of fulfillment that is composed of that which does not truly satisfy. We must walk away from that way that seems right to man. Give up our quest to live our life our way and agree to live the life of Christ, his way in our body. So I said earlier, last couple of weeks, I want to try to remember to, to challenge us to make a decision each week. I want to bring a challenge that we would decide to sometime this week, just decide, you know what? I'm going to be okay not having my way. I'm going to be okay. Just practice telling your body no, telling your desires no, not telling your brother or sister no, <laughs> not telling your children no, because it's too much work or whatever. But just not having your way. Practice that. Make it a practice. And maybe you'll find that that will be God's way and you will come to find satisfaction in not having your way.
0: Tori, can you contrast what you're talking about with asceticism?
1: Okay, yeah, contrasting this with the idea of asceticism. So, Paul talked about that in Colossians, saying that it's not the harsh treatment of the body right that brings spirituality now asceticism basically um, is not necessarily it it comes with good motives oftentimes and the idea of that is treating your body harshly to show it who's in control okay and you know people have done crazy things like sitting on a pole you know little have a little platform up there for for years ridiculous things like that why so that they can be uncomfortable. It's not the state of being in discomfort that brings holiness. It's the state of being focused on God, his truth and your spiritual interaction with him. Paul said in Colossians three, he said that, since, therefore, you have been raised up with Christ, set your mind on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. This, this is a way of thinking that include, it can include saying no to your body. Paul said, I buffet my body, I make it my slave in order that I might not be disqualified. He was saying that his body is not in control, but he also dampened that idea of taking that too far. And uh, so if you wanna really practice uh, discipline, Um, He talked about bodily discipline. It has a little value, but discipline for the purpose of godliness. So what really makes the difference is what you are trying to accomplish, which comes back down to where is your mindset? If what you're trying to accomplish is that your body won't do certain things, where is your mindset? On the body. If, on the other hand, you want to accomplish Uh, Peace so for example and as much as it depends upon you be at peace with all men And that means letting your little brother or little sister have their way rather than you have your way your focus is on peace Your focus is on relationships your focus is on love Rather than on treating your body in a specific way oftentimes in most cases the issue of having our way has very little to do with our body, it has more to do with relationships. Now, sometimes with things like lust and things like that, our body drives us wanting to have our own way, but relationships are a really good place to learn this and you don't have to beat up your body.
0: The question was asked, so fasting in the name of Jesus would not be a good thing to do?
1: Oh, sure, fasting in the name of Jesus would be a great thing to do, but why? You know, and I'll tell you what, here's I heard this. A good way to know where your mind is on it is how you feel when you don't do it or you fail. How do you feel? If you feel guilty, if you feel shameful because you were going to fast till tomorrow night and tomorrow afternoon you're like, oh man, your neighbor came over with cookies and you had one, if you feel guilty about that, you probably don't have things quite worked out. But no, fasting is a great thing to do. But why? That's, what, that's really what it comes down to. Just the idea of saying, God, I don't have to have my way. And I'll let you direct me into loving relationships and, and so forth is a good thing.
0: Thanks for listening in today. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And for more information on TRC Ministries or to contact us, go to www.regenerationcenter.org.